Welcome to the Wine is Shuffle, the ICT fan podcast, back with an emergency pod. We've got a backlog of games and we've got a new caretaker manager, Terry McCann. I could be so good for you. the character Terry McCann from the 80s TV show Minder that would somewhat worryingly make Scott Gardner Arthur Daly probably. Uh, joining me Andrew Moffat for this 80s TV pod are Stevie Riley, last of the summer wine, how you doing? <laughs> how you doing? Andrew Young, Blockbusters, alright? Uh, yeah, I'm on Hotspot tonight. Andrew Sutherland, Inspector Morose, what's happening? I don't know who that is. <laughs> and Ross McKenzie, Funhouse. Hello. <laughs> Welcome return to the pod, Ross. I ask you no questions, you tell me no lies. Okay, some say it's an emergency, um, the situation that we were in that um, resulted in Neil McCann becoming our manager. It, it, it isn't. Let's get that right out of the way from the off. Bill Shankly was a great manager, but he couldn't have been more wrong um, let's kick off with the most important thing above and beyond football and all the chat for the next hour or so we wish Robbo and Kel all the best two guys that have put the football club before themselves these past few years two guys that you'd be hard pressed to find anyone who would say a bad word about them and two guys who are going to be sorely missed by the players, the fans, the club everybody in Scottish football and beyond but hopefully not for too long lads eh? Yeah, you just want to see them get back to full strength as soon as possible, you know, you know, for them more than for us, you know. Uh, Robbo, as he said, has given us so much. Um, he needs the time to come in terms of his loss. And Kel actually is probably up there with almost anyone in the club's history in terms of how much he's given to it, the amount of his life he's already, you know, kind of devoted to us. So I really hope he's able to make a full recovery. And when we get back into grounds next year, we can show them the appreciation they deserve. Okay, as a managerial duo, they, you know, let's talk about them for just a little bit. They've come in, they've stabilised the club, finished third three years ago, then second in the league. They've won the Challenge Cup, they've reached the quarterfinals and semis of the Scottish Cup. Against the backdrop of the, the seasons in the Premier League and winning the Scottish Cup, these sort of achievements, they, they pale in comparison. But if you judge them on their own merits, um, with what similar sized clubs like you know Dunfermline, Morton, Dundee have done, and maybe not Dundee, have done in that time, what sort of job have they done? I think you also need the context of the season after season budget cuts. So in the three full seasons, uh, or the three completed seasons, they finished higher each year um, with inferior players or with an inferior budget. It's an absolutely incredible achievement. And you could see with our budget being cut again this season, you could see how much that, that, that was straining things. You know, I mean, Robbo must have been doing, there must be two or three jobs there that Robbo's doing. And you know because there's not there's not other bodies around to do them, 
and yeah, take, taken as a whole, the achievement's incredible. We were in a real mess when he took over after relegation. I don't think you'd find too many people really wanting to come to Inverness with, you know, the kind of um, shambles that he would have encountered when he walked in through the door. Um, and, you know, early days, it was pretty grim. You know, get that mauling at East End Park and already people were kind of questioning whether he was the right guy for the job. I mean, he was literally, well, not literally, he was figuratively having to throw players against the wall in the hope of um, stumbling across a good setup. And, you know, it, it's kind of taken, you know, the best part of two years, you know, until last season for him to kind of eventually build a really good starting eleven. So it can show how long it takes a guy to, to build up a team. You know, he's brought in players um, and improved them, players that have been laughed off by other clubs. You know, your Sean Rooney's, your Cole Donaldson's uh, got on them moves to the Premiership. He's helped guys like Jamie McCart and Jordan White improve as footballers as well and get, get, get good moves after doing well with us. So, yeah, as Ross said, it's always been a gradual improvement under Robbo. He's, he's improved players um, in the face of ongoing budget cuts. And whilst he's not perfect, you could argue some of his tactical decisions and lineups are a wee bit odd at times. I, I can't think of anyone who could have done a better job um, than, than, than what he's done, given the kind of conditions he had to work with. I think he's been brilliant for us. And the, the one, the manager who literally threw players against the wall was Terry Butcher, of course, not, not John <laughs> Robertson. <there. laughs> well, Robbo, he left a, a cushy number at Hearts to get his hands dirty in the Highlands four years ago, and Scott Kelliker has made Cali Thistle and crucially the young players at the club his life for the past decade or or more than that. We're not just missing a coaching team, are we? No, I think we've got to look at, especially this year, the pandemic. I mean, they're not just coaches, they're probably father figures, they're probably therapists, they're probably a shoulder to cry on. I mean, I think Bobo made it clear in the summer last year that one of his tasks was to get the boys together when he could. I think they were out delivering ice creams, weren't they? They were playing golf, they were hill walking, and uh, I think it was made clear by Scott Gardner this week that some of the boys were really upset. Um, didn't shock me, but I, I didn't think footballers... Would be as upset, but you got to remember. I mean, they're, they're fragile characters, aren't they? I mean, they'll like a pat in the back or a hug when he did it. So I think Robbo's a little bit of a father figure, and yeah, I think he's probably been there off the field as much as he's been there on the field this season with what's going on. Yeah, and you see that um, footage from kind of Yogi's time at the club onwards. You know, Mikel and the Mankini, You know, and getting all the stories back going on. Thus, he seems to be a pretty kind of larger than life character. Again, it's got that sense of continuity, having been at the club for well over a decade in various roles. So I think, again, he's probably one of the guys that is able to make new players feel most at home when they come in there and provide a sort of sense of atmosphere and continuity among the squad. So I think he'll be massively missed as well. It's just just in the last pod when we had um, Scott Allardyce on, he was even mentioning Kel and about how he how he's helped his game. And we're talking about you know one of our standout players um, this season. So... He's well aware of what contribution that Scott's made. Okay, so let's break down the chronology of events, Riley. Before the winner air and Robbo stepping aside, uh, before Aloha, and even before that, when did or was Scott Gardner aware that that Robbo was thinking about this, um, thinking about doing what he did, and you know how quickly did McCann come about? So it started on. On a presser the the week before the air game with a pre-match pre- press conference that he does every Thursday, and it went it went to plan normally just usual questions, usual journalists, etc. And then somewhere Robbo just said, "I've." Oh, it was about one of the injuries in, in the training field. So I think Doran and McDonald picked up injuries on the same day when we played it when we were training at Dingwall. 
and Rob alluded that he didn't see it because he had just had a family bereavement. So that sort of came out of left field, um, finished the press conference and, yeah, nothing was said, um, wished him well. I think it was a Wednesday, Thursday before their game, Gardner and uh, Robertson had a meeting to say, look, how are you? And I think Robbo was struggling. So this was before the Thursday presser for the air game. Nothing was mentioned. Robbo was on the presser. Um, he was all good. But on a Friday, they decided that he was going to step back, but don't let the players know. So the players didn't know at the air game. Um, I thought they did, but no, I didn't know. And as you've probably seen, Barry Wilson done the, the post-match press conferences. Um, him and Gardner went on the bus together on the way up the road, and that's when they formulated the, the four names which, according to Gardner, McCann was number one. But he approved all four names. And then, yeah, we contacted, I think we contacted McCann on the Sunday before he went on to Rangers TV. And, uh, yeah, I think it took McCann a day or two to get rid of his commitments and, and join us. So that was just a chronology. But, yeah, Rob, Rob was aware from probably Friday that he was stepping back. And the players didn't know until, I think, late Sunday, early Monday that, McCann was coming in. Kind of and then McCann refused to take the job unless he spoke to Near Rob. minutes yeah. after the dismal draw against Alloa, McCann's announced. What are all your initial thoughts about McCann? Uh, or rather, what were your thoughts about McCann at the time, uh, not taking into account the Hearts game? I certainly spent those days uh, feeling pretty scared, terrified of what Gardner was going to come up with, to be honest. And I'd love to see that, that, four, that list of four ex-Hearts players who have failed at other clubs um, and, you know, obviously the, the biggest fear of all was that the Winus shuffle may have unwittingly played a part in smoothing over a handover to Gary Locke. Um, <laughs> and then once the appointment's made, I continued, you know, to be absolutely terrified. Uh, waking up in the night, you know, uh, in cold sweats with a vision of Mark Ridgers trying to play it short out to Danny Devine. Um, Was that not just you cold turkey from whatever substance you were on? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it could have been that. It could have been that. Um, and, you know, it's not just that, that feeling that McCann might implement this philosophy really dogmatically, regardless of how suited the back four and keeper. And I don't think, our, you know, you couldn't find a more ill-suited back four and keeper to be playing the ball around in front of the box than ours at the moment. Um, so, yeah, but at the same time, you know, I had this wee inkling that, uh, you know, force of personality and charisma and all that, motivation that he might make a, a quick impact and uh, and at the also I felt that maybe he would have uh, a liberating impact on some of our some of our more technically gifted players uh, particularly I suppose Welsh and Keatons who have really struggled to find rhythm this season um, and and I'm and after after the Hearts game I'm feeling I'm feeling better about those things so um, I'm feeling better about everything actually I, I love Neil McCann he's great it's a brilliant appointment I love Scott Gardner I love hearts. No, so, not, not that, but the other things. Riley, you said that um, you know they, they came up with this list on the on the, on the bus trip back up the road the previous week. Mm-hmm. How how much was Robbo involved in that? Did did Robbo does Robbo handpick McCann? Do you think, or has Robbo just said, "Look, I'll, I'm happy with any all four of these managers." I think probably a bit of both. I mean, I think we can't hide the fact that. Gardner's got a long relationship with McCann. If you look at Rangers, Dundee, Hearts, I mean, he's 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 been linked with them or been working with them at all those all those clubs. But I think I think we all and to go talk to Ross to back to Ross's point. I, I thought it'd be Gary Locke, and uh, yeah, the shuffle maybe had a part to play at that. But I think um, we'll we'll sort of guess it'd be a Hearts link 
I mean, I think Levine, Gary Naismith, a lot. We had all those names thrown about. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think Gardner would have, would have hired someone without Robbo giving it the okay. I think whether he was number one in the list, that he's, he's going to say he's number one in the list because that's who we've got as manager. But um, yeah, um, yeah, I think Robbo's, Robbo's probably going to, I think he's probably spoke to Robbo even after last night's game as well. I think Robbo's been in touch all week with him. Well, you might have spoke to him, but presumably that avenue of conversation is not going to really be open because Robbo needs his time away from football and, and Kel needs his own time away as well. So, yeah, I hope how, so. how important are, are Barry Wilson and Ryan Essen going to be to the new manager? There's there's a lot of good that's been done to bed in the new and the young players this season. So, irrespective of the performance against Alawa, does the new manager listen to them to gain, to gain continuity? Reports suggest that it's often McCann's way or the highway. So what, what's the thoughts around that? I think they've got to be important to him, especially early on. Um, he'll listen to them the first couple of games. He'll kind of be watching to see if their descriptions of the players' strengths and systems and positions that are best suited to them actually tally with what's, what you see in the pitch. So you know he'll, he'll certainly be taking their advice on board in those first few games, but ultimately he'll make the decisions he'll implement what's going to be done in the pitch. You know, that's how management works. And he will ask them to kind of implement his instructions ultimately. But you can't kind of go in there and just kind of ignore the, the knowledge and wisdom that they've built up over the last, you know, couple of years or whatever. Yeah, I mean, people often talk about players or whatever, you know, putting themselves in the shot window. And, and that, that, that's kind of what McCann's going to be doing here um, to some extent. Um, can't imagine turning you an interim manager is a particularly easy thing to do. Um, let alone coming up to you know a club like Inverness. So if, if McCann was to go in there and kind of do things his own way, that that's fine. That that's his prerogative. But he'd probably do himself more harm than good by doing that. I think whilst he'll want to put it to some degree his own stamp on things, he'll also want to lean quite heavily on you know the, the coaches that are at the club just now, rather than completely tearing up the rule book, so to speak. What do you say? What do you say to somebody that says, "Well, why don't we just give Barry Wilson the job"? You tell them Barry Wilson's failed at Elgin and is at Wick Academy. Yeah. Um, no, you can't give Barry Wilson the job when he's uh, and he's not even you know he's the more junior of the coaches. I'm sure Barry wanted the job. Barry will be quite confident in his own abilities as as, as he generally is. But I, I don't. Uh, and just on on terms of what Ay said, that was quite balanced about how McCannell will treat those coaches. He didn't seem to be chatting to them much last night, and he was pretty clear from the word go. This is the uh, you know I'm going to tell the players the way we're going to play. I respect how they've been playing in the past, but they'll be playing the way I want them to play. So yeah, uh, and that's why he's Ross. got that. That's that strength of character ultimately that could drive us forward. I don't know the Ryan's coaching techniques, but I think Barry and Ryan are probably what we class as the shop stewards. You know the link between the management and the players, and I think if they to go into that number one role, would they get the respect to the players? Because I'd imagine that if you're a player that's not playing, you probably moan at Essen, you probably moan at Barry Wilson about Robbo so I think bringing some fresh ears and fresh eyes in is what we need gives a fresh perspective and by the sounds of uh, Neil McCann's voice he's certainly been he's been chirping at them over training in the first game so um, I think it's a, it's a positive and Charlie Christie it's been stated that he'll you'll help with training when he's available too but he's got a lot of his own projects on the go so as was alluded to He's an ov- he is an obvious choice to be caretaker. I think a lot of fans would have thought about him initially. Um, you know, he was relatively successful. He just decided he didn't want the job back in back in the day. What's he got going on that prevents this, really? So 
Some big announcements. We don't know what they are yet, but um, some big academy announcements coming up. According to Scott Gardner, and um, Charlie's going to be at the forefront of those. But um, yeah, I don't know if Charlie's been asked or they didn't even consider Charlie. But um, yeah, he's doing a lot around the academy, and uh, yeah, some big announcements to be to be held soon. Apparently, no. Do you think the new announcements are in any way to do with the fact that the club's increasingly seeing these developments as a way forward? Is that based on what we're seeing with Cameron Harper, Danny McKay, Roddy McGregor all, you know, establishing themselves pretty successfully this season? And is that seen as, you know, maybe a sign that that's where we're going and Charlie's going to be kind of at the centre of all that? No, I'll give you a shout. Uh, actually said that when he spoke to us about that, um, about the number of um, home-based players that are now in the first-team squad. So they might be using those guys as the... The poster boys for what this uh, this project that's coming up, and uh, I'm sure he'll be using his son as his reference as well. But yeah, that's good shout anyway. So this is until this is until Neil McCann next week signs free agent Sophie and Musa. You got no soul, you rubber bumpers. Spit that. Well, well, well. Right, Neil McCann, ex Dundee Hearts Rangers Falkirk player, most recently a pundit for BBC Scotland and Rangers TV and manager of Dundee from April 2017 to October 2018. So we went into the Dens changing rooms and onto the D terraces to get the views about our interim gaffer from both sides of the hornings. We spoke to ICT hero made captain of Dundee by McCann during his time there, Josh Meekins, and to Terrace and Down the Provy Road podcaster and Dundee fan, Gary Cocker. Neil McCann was a real curate's egg of a manager for me. He, yeah, it's you can probably hear the conflict in my voice. He was obviously a, a hero to probably the generation up from me. They won't appreciate that, but those five to ten years older than me uh, will remember him as a player for Dundee. Came in as manager, and he was, and this will probably excite Cali fans. He was a terrific caretaker manager. He came in immediately gave the place a boost um you know you would follow him into battle when things were going well i think his first game was against Mullowell and it was a 3-2 victory obviously he came in after paul hartley left at that point we were sliding towards uh, a relegation battle and he kept us up that season um the following season was a bit of a mixed bag probably didn't end as well as it could have done those who remember Dundee from that season will probably remember there were a couple of games where we played exquisite football, uh, really exciting, good to watch. It was something that he was clearly keen to, to see the team do. He, he wasn't in the business of just grinding out results. You know, he's not a Steve Clark. He doesn't just put out an effective team that will get you a 1-0 victory. Um, but the flip side of that means that he can also put out some teams which are absolutely tragic to watch um, in, the, in the long run. So that's the... That's almost the duality of man that you get with Neil McCann is that uh, when it goes right, it goes really well. When it goes wrong, uh, and we can speak a little bit about uh, transfers, player management, um, his own particular style that you like to impose on the team, then it can go very wrong. I've only got good memories personally with him. Um, I know that we had, you know, you'd say a difficult period of, of the time at Dundee. Um, we were scrapping about at the bottom a little bit and it was it was tough, but um, he was the one that gave me the first phone call uh, when I was down here, actually, the first time with my knee injury. Um, and ever since that first phone call, you know, I just thought that he was a genuine person. He was really caring on that phone call. He's had injuries himself before, so that made it, I think that made him slightly more understanding of my situation. 
and he just he was really positive and and gave me a good vibe and I, I went up the road um with the understanding that if I get myself back fit that there'd be a contract at the end of it and he stayed loyal to that he very much backs himself and backs his own ability um, whether or not he has that is obviously another question. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes. But you're you're absolutely right to see. I mean, he's a very charismatic guy. When things are going right at your club with him at the helm, you feel great. You feel ten feet tall. He's similar to Yogi in the in the fact that he wants people to play football. He wants you know that's the way that he coaches. That's the way that he wants things done. And you know, I've always said that I really admire people that try and do it that way. Um, and I think that when it comes off and it comes off successfully. It looks great. Um, obviously, like you said, it depends how long in terms of the timing and, and how much he gets to coach the boys. But from a coaching point of view, he's, he's, his knowledge of the game is absolutely brilliant. So there's no doubt in my mind that he'll be able to get his points across. Um, and as I said, you know, I've had conversations with him many times where there's there's been things going on and, and, and he's been really helpful with me and understanding. So... I honestly think that he'll, he'll do really well up there and I hope that he does really well up there. I know that there's there's a lot of boys in that dressing room that can play that way. I've played with boys in there that, you know, had Yogi. So if they take to him, then I feel that it could be a really successful period for the club. Basically, Neil McCann is inspired by the the sort of the older generation of, of Pep Guardiola team that's sort of playing out from the back, suck, sucking the opposition in uh, and then beating the press. That is fine if you have high-quality players and if you have defenders and a goalkeeper, and that's the important thing, and a goalkeeper who is comfortable on the ball. If you do not, you can imagine how it's going to go. Curse Jack Hamilton's time at Dens and curse that Dundee side for that season. But it does show the, the damage that can be done by pursuing a philosophy relentlessly, flying in the face of what you actually have in front of you. So it'll be interesting for me to see if he's become more pragmatic uh, after looking back at his time at Dundee and sort of abandoning those principles that he has about uh, playing out from the back, trying to play lots of smooth, tidy, short passes in the midfields as well. And then where things fall down is when things aren't going so well. So people will remember, for example, his fallout with Tommy Wright um, after a Dundee St. Johnson match, um, uh, where afterwards he said, I, I have no intention of speaking to that man. He's not welcome around here. So if there is an Inverness Cali Kilmarnock playoff final um, at the end of the season, that'll be an interesting wee subplot. Um, also, you might vaguely remember that he fell out with Scott Bain at one point. I can't remember the game. I think it was actually a game against Hamilton, come to think of it. Um, and apparently there was a, a slang and match in the dressing room at halftime. They had to be separated. So he does clearly care. He's clearly charismatic. But I think so much of it depends on what the personalities are in the dressing room. Because if there's big personalities in the dressing room, that might lead to issues, shall we say. He's very passionate. I will say it like that. He's very, very yeah. passionate. Um, he's professional. He, he wants things done properly. Um, and he, de he demands high standards. And that's, that's all you want, really, I guess, from a leader. You want someone in there that's going to be demanding that high standards from everybody. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he can have a shout, but he can also have a soft conversation. He's, he's one of them that I don't think that there's a right or wrong way of doing things. I think that you need to get a balance of the two. And I do believe that he does have that. So... I've had many conversations with him where I've been really calm and, and like I say, understanding of my situations at the time. And then I've also had times where he's given me an absolute rollicking. So sometimes you need it. It's just one of them things and it's part and parcel of our game. And But one thing I will say is that he's, he's very demanding and expects high standards and the boys can expect that from him. 
dogmatic approach to football and philosophy and if things aren't going well things can get tetchy pretty quickly you'll follow him into battle charismatic and he does have something of an eye for a player although I know that that's not really going to be too much of an issue given it is late February Gary and Josh there always good to hear from Josh um terrific caretaker manager was one of the first things that Gary Cocker said there Ross you were you were worrying about him that surely that um fills you a bit of confidence well I mean he used a couple of really memorable phrases I mean he touched you know particularly the the duality of Neil McCann so I mean yeah terrific caretaker manager that that fills me with enthusiasm and that chimes with the the kind of the idea that we we touched on that maybe just that strength of character, charisma, and enthusiasm can see us through um, over over a kind of short term period. But then he also he also touches on the the other the, the, the concern, which is when he said the uh, the damage that can be done by pursuing a philosophy relentlessly, flying in the face of what you actually have in front of you, and that's that's the concern. But maybe that's something that crops up later on in his time at a club. So maybe we will get, you know, we'll get the singular best Neil McCann. Probably also worth remembering that when McCann took charge of Dundee to steer them clear of relegation, um, obviously the team that went down that year was us. So you could maybe argue on one hand that it was only the fact that we were just so unbelievably shit that Dundee stayed up that season. However, it's also worth remembering that prior to him taking charge at Dundee, they had lost, um, I think it was like seven, eight games in a row prior to his appointment. And that included a serious feeling up by Aberdeen at home when they lost 7-0. Um, and in his first three games in charge, he won two um, and drew one. That instantly catapulted them clear of um, relegation in the playoff spot. So you could, you know, if, if Hartley had maybe stayed in charge, um, you know, they, they, they could have gone down that season. So, I think um, I, I must admit I wasn't particularly enamoured with the appointment. That was probably clouded by the Alloa result, you know, mere minutes before it was announced. Um, but you obviously had enough of an impact at Dundee to kind of, sit, you know, kind of kick the players up the arse and get them going again. Maybe that's what you can do with us, and, and hopefully it will be. If, if he tries to kind of um, put in place this playing out from the back system, and it, you know, there, there, there seems to be evidence of that already on um, on Friday night against Hearts. Um, if there are players who are not able to do that, you know, he's not really able to bring anyone in. And if we're going to make a serious kind of charge towards the playoffs, we probably don't have too much time. I mean, to get that kind of style implemented, you think how long it took John Hughes to get his style implemented when he came in, you know, that, that, that took the best part of half a season. You know, we don't have that time. And at least Hughes was able to bring in players in the January transfer window when he came in as well. Oh, so I was just going to say, you know, about, about the reactions, actually. I mean, I thought some of the reactions were absolutely hilarious. Um, you know, people talking about cancel the club, relegate the club, people, <laughs> Simpsons gifts dropping it, dropping it, or jump, people jumping out the window and all this sort of stuff. Um, but then the sort of counter-reaction, I think I was kind of a... Uh, briefly looking at CPO and a few people were kind of grousing about McCann and lack of ambition and all this sort of stuff and other people kind of saying that they should be kind of removed from the forum and basically have all their privileges revoked and I just think people overreact massively to extreme reactions on Twitter you know I mean part of the thing is that 
you just wanted people almost compete to be as extreme as they can be. You know, a lot of it was just kind of tongue in cheek. You know, I think you know one a couple of good results from McCann, and everyone will be like, going, "Aye, this is great, good, you know, good, good appointment sort of thing." So we shouldn't take people's kind of either excessively positive or excessively negative reactions too seriously. You know, it's all part of the, the pantomime of the thing. If um, if we'd have won against Alloa, there'd been a lot more happy clappers than. Um... Yeah, negative comments, and uh, if, if it had been appointed after year, for example, on Saturday, totally different reaction. So. For McDonald, up the castle, Liverness men, Weechies, Hustle, Jerry Heavers, CCTV, PC's Pizzas, Tourist City, Farland Park, the Library, Spectrum Centre, Molly Story, Cali Thistle, the Golden Mile, Music Centre, Matala. Right, games, McCann outsmarts Hearts, Story denied penalty glory, on fire Carson sparks air arson. And queens let us eat losers cake. What's a rubbish cake? Maybe a maybe a flan, something like that. Uh, a quiche eye. That's not a cake, though, is it? Sa- savory. That's a flan. Isn't it the same fucking thing? No, flan's got flan like, and a quiche. Uh, it's, it's just, a flan not got no, cream in it. No, a flan is a quiche. It's just a it's a Scottish word for a quiche. All right. Okay. Well. That's what the queen's, that's what the, cake. That's, what the that's what the Queen's game was. Right, let's kick <laughs> off with our most recent game. Start talking about flans. The one-one draw with Hearts, the record attendance match. We haven't seen ten thousand Central Belters come up to the Highlands since well the start of COVID. Uh, and the headline from this match: Who knew that such a well-turned-out gent, such as Craig Gordon, had such boughing breath? Classic, classic shit housing from little ginger funny man David Carson. I think it's even more funnier than Alice banned on and Willie was doing that. So, yeah, fair play to him. Yeah, well, we thought McCann would tinker with the system and the tactics and tinker he did. Um, did anyone quite expect the four-one-three-two formation and uh, the tactics that resulted um, from that? I certainly didn't expect it. I, I, I had spent time over the last few months thinking about how we could fit our four central midfielders, um, and and it wasn't our four central midfielders, how we could fit four central midfielders into a team, maybe with a diamond. Um, I was kind of always imagining maybe Keating's at the top of that diamond and and Roddy and, and, and Big Sam either side of it or whatever. But I think, I hope he persists with that system actually, because I think, not necessarily the personnel, because we've, we don't have any width in the squad now, so we're going to need... We're going to need to have four four central midfielders in a lot of our games. Um, but on the on the game, like I, I just started, I had this week kind of butterflies of belief in the minutes before the game kicked off, and it and it just it felt within the first five minutes when Wallace Duffy wiped out GMS in the far corner for no reason. He didn't have to. There was no he could have shepherded him right, but he just completely took him out. And, and it, it just the the feeling built that this could be like a, a kind of iconic Cali performance and win. Uh, then the goal comes, you know, and the minutes after the goal where we created those chances and it looked like we were going to push and get a second. Those were uh, those were the best minutes of 2021 so far for me. I'm not ashamed to say. Yeah, it was quite interesting to see Welsh kind of look to be deliberately positioned deeper to take the ball off um, Dees and Devine at the back. Um, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, but obviously we, we saw Devine struggling to play the ball out against um, Alawa uh, midweek. So maybe maybe that was on McCann's mind when he thought about having someone like Welsh just to play a little bit deeper, um, offer a short option for the defenders and just kind of get play going. Um, good point by Ross. Whilst I'd be quite keen to see that, formation you know um used again i think it's a bit of a waste of mcgregor playing him wide uh, maybe better 
playing him at the kind of um, just behind the two strikers. Um, I thought Keaton's had a, a reasonable game. Um, he's talked about wanting to play further forward more often in the past, so you know he's got his chance there. Um, and I think we need to give Story some credit. He's been maligned by some of our fans in, in recent games, but that, that really was a, a cracking finish for the opener and, and real strength to basically bench press um, the Hearts defender into the turf. So, yeah, that, that was uh, fantastic to see. Well, he's, he's mixed up his reported passing style because um, the first 30 minutes, the first 30 minutes, he sort of out-tacticked Nielsen. I know that's not particularly hard, but it's, it's been fantastic to watch. And he's kind of used his short game um, from the back, quick passes in possession, and then managed to exploit the spaces and the channels with sort of um, playing slightly longer balls, probably into the final third. I think that was having, you know, talked to... the listen to Meekins and to Cocker that was that was quite unexpected but how much was this absolutely night and day from the Aloha game? Very much so I think because we, we pressed the ball a lot better I thought and further up I mean what, the one major kind of, or the one kind of link between them is uh, Carson's been in for the Aloha game and the air game before it and that suits this game perfectly you know he plays you know starting position is kind of a bit further forward than either kind of Allardyce or Welsh would, would be and then he is able to kind of press the game um, pretty high up and, and use his sort of physicality. He's quite aggressive. Story as well, like um, coming back in and, you know, again, really, I thought, um, used his strength particularly well. And that's probably why Sutherland stays in there as well, you know, because he's got that um, that ability to kind of go and, and make trouble and press players. Um, so, yeah, I just thought there was there was greater urgency about it. We were kind of further forward um we were maybe trying to get beyond a little bit more as well, you know, and it was, it was a lot more kind of um, purposeful, I think, than the Alloa game. I think one of the things that McCann's going to have to work on in training, though, is sorting out our um, defence. Um, I know there's some claims for offside against boys for the Hearts equaliser. I'm not so sure myself, but it was a little bit concerning to see, I think, two, if not three of our defenders all getting kind of pulled towards um, the ball uh, before it was knocked down to boys to score. Um, he's going to have to sort that out because we've had a few defensive errors in, in recent weeks. So, so it's something for him to sort in the training ground, hopefully. Yeah, I think the work rate last night was was massive. It was a massive improvement from the Tuesday's game. And Keaton said last night he was spent. I know even off um, the, the shift he put in was was he was my man in match. I think he was he faded toward the end, but I think he was great from uh, the first half to maybe up to about sixty minutes. But yeah, I McCann said that in his comments as well, that um, that's what he demanded from the guys was um, high intensity and uh, they certainly got that. So, positive, positive signs. What about um, Big Allardyce? This is the first game this season he's been on the bench. I think he's played more Surprised. minutes Surprised he got dropped. Yeah, um, yeah um, I think some makes a good point. I think it's maybe back to a little bit what we've done with Tansy under Yogi is have that, I won't, I won't call Sean Welsh a quarterback, but playing that position where he drops back to receive the balls and obviously... Looking at the last two midweek games at home, um, both Mackay and Devine making mistakes, passing the ball from the back, I think it's a pretty shrewd move to, to give it to a player that's maybe a bit more comfortable in the ball. So as much as I'd like to see Allardyce in there, I can see why he's, why he's done that last night. Anyone else think we should have had a penalty for the challenge on Carson? Maybe a sending off Kingsley on for his challenge on McGregor? I'd have I had a penalty I... for both. Carson had two penalty shots. Mm. I know the ball was a wee bit uh, in front of him, and maybe that's why it's not been given. But it's, it, the it's a foul. Yeah, that, if that Kingsley one is made by one of our players mm-hmm. at a packed Tynecastle, they're off. Yeah, I mean, I thought last night in the Zoom. I th- did uh, you said it some last night? Nick Walsh had a couple of red cards for Cindy recently, didn't he? He did. And yeah. it, that might have played a part into him not 
He's he's just Kevin a very Cup. he's just a very very poor referee. You remember him from the games? Was it two? Was it last season? Towards the back, or was it the season before? Uh, the, what was the, it? Was Paul, the Dundee, Paul, it was the Dundee United playoff Dundee game. United, yeah, yeah, yeah. When when Paulworth got sent off, because yeah. when we spoke to Paulworth like last last year, Paulworth said he saw him it was in the fort in Glasgow and uh, wanted to have a word with him. Uh, but, you know, I, I think Nick, Nick Walsh is an infuriating official. Um, but I thought Leanne Crichton's rather bizarre justification for not giving the car, the the penalty for the first challenge on Carson was because the ball got away from him and Ross said it there. I, I think that's maybe that can maybe be allowed to an extent, but. You know, at the end of the day, I mean, he's been he's been cleared out. One of the hearts defenders. It's, it's a penalty. It doesn't matter, you know, in that instance to me where the ball is. You know, he's still being cleared out going through going through into the penalty area. It's a foul. It's a penalty. And Danny Devine, man of the match, Billy Dodds. Yeah, actually, for me, the man of the match was Wallace Duffy, and uh, we're, we're, we haven't really touched on Shane's chance, which comes from a brilliant Wallace Duffy knockdown. Given that he got the, he got the yellow card early doors, and then he's he's, he's got to deal with Mackay Stephen the whole. And he's done it again. brilliantly, and he's also been good on the ball. His energy is incredible. He's yep. so up for it, Wallace Duffy. You see his facial expressions. You know when something goes a wee bit wrong, he really, really cares. I love Wallace Duffy. Devine was generally okay last night, but it was him who lost voice for the for the goal. You know, he was mm-hmm. I, I was watching it back on the on the um the highlights today and he is the one who's picking up voice for the free kick coming in and then the moment the ball's put back in, he is sucked into trying to compete for that ball against Halkett, even though Dees is supposed to be on Halkett. And it's actually it does two things. Not only does it mean that he's moved away from Boyce who goes in, but also it forces Dees backwards. And that is what plays Boyce on. So it kind of like was costly in two levels there. Uh, otherwise, he, he played very well. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure he would have been my man of that. Can I just touch on a few kind of memeable moments? I thought from a, across the game, Neil McCann's reaction to the goal, where he like, you know, when you're trying not to look really chuffed about something, and uh, like you have to try consciously to relax all the muscles in your cheeks so you don't, you know, bring about a big cheeser. You could see him really forcing, forcing that smile off his face. Uh, which was nice to see Carson Carson getting wide with Gordon. You've already mentioned, but like you must be able to put that next to a photo of Russell Duncan and whichever Lithuanian jobber it was that he was provoked into a red card all those years ago. And then the Marian last one, Kello. there you go. Thank you, Stevie, uh, Lithuanian jobber expert in the corner there. Uh, <laughs> and the final one was uh, Ridgers, Ridgers, uh, the change of expression on Ridgers' face when he realised that ball was dropping off the bar and onto the line. Could you know? Uh, kind of evoked the, the David Marshall facial expre- expression change when he was waiting for the linesman to make a decision. Is there a, is there a conceivable scenario where they don't win the league? I'm looking at the table here and Wraith Rovers are presently in second at time of recording with two games in hand. If they won them both, that would bring them to within three points of Hearts? Nah, I just think, I think Hearts just don't like playing on a Friday night. I think they'll, they'll start along and they'll, they'll win the league. They won't win it as comfortably as I think we... We first thought, but I think Nielsen's got a history of that. I think United done the same when he took them up. They sort of started across the line. If there was fans, if there was fans in the stadium, though, I, you know, I know a lot. Of, I know a lot of jambos. Mm. They are turning against them now, albeit they can yeah. only turn against them online. They're absolutely done in by the absolutely turgid football that they put in every week. It was no wonder that every Dundee United fan was quite happy to see him go. Plus, pocket two hundred thousand grand. When they well, win mean, the league, so, sorry, Ross. Maybe the last time, maybe it's at Hearts manager. Do not, do not fly a. Banner over Tynecastle, didn't they? Um, shouting uh, Nielsen out. There was that famous uh, photo. But yeah, I think he's got a bit of the Derek McKinnis syndrome. I just even if he's winning or in a decent position in the league, they just don't like the style of play. And uh, 
Yeah, as you say, Moff, I think there's a lot of grumblings online. Uh, I, don't even think, I don't even think they've got a style of play. They don't even have yeah, a style. It's, it's also the amount of points they've dropped now. I mean, if, if Dundee or Dunfermline had been in any way competent with the resources that they'd had, they, they should be mounting a decent challenge. It's more the inconsistency of the other teams that's going to win them the league rather than their own brilliance. Yeah. Sure. OK, uh, Alloa, 2-2 draw for 70 minutes here. This is one of the most toothless, ragged displayers we've, we have seen this season. So... Um, fair play to Barry and S for changing it and seeing the space that Miles and Keats could exploit. But does that paper over the cracks at the time that were patently evident in this match? I think Barry even said in his post-match interviews, I think if Wall Stuffy didn't score that superb strike, a bit of an arsewinder. They were running out, run out of ideas. They tried everything. Um, they were they were the pulling on a lot of um, possession and a lot of shots. But yeah, nothing was nothing was working. And I think we'll talk about Queens a bit more later. But I, I just think if the boys agree with me. We play better against teams that come out against us and want to play against us and come out, i.e. United, which we'll talk about. But when a team plays, when he's, when he's sitting in a bit more rigid, we don't have any creativity to either go through them or around them. So, yeah, wasn't surprised by this result, although it was a bit of a kick the teeth the way it, the way it came about. Funnily enough, I mean, the one thing we did, we did actually start to look really, really threatening after we scored. And... Mm. Ironically, I think we almost pushed too much to try and get a third, you know, and let, let them in again. There's maybe a, a, an argument for shutting up shops. I thought Alba looked quite knackered. Um, but before that, you know, we weren't really doing much to really penetrate. I think Al- Alba spent, seemed to spend most of the game, especially after they went ahead with, it looked at least to be about five defenders across the back, another three or four players sitting in front. And we just, we just couldn't break it down, as, as we've kind of mentioned there. But after we went 2-1 up and they went and got their equaliser and they kind of opened up again. I think at that point, I think Grant kind of realised they could maybe grab three points here and they kind of attacked us a lot more in the final few few minutes. And, um, you know, I was surprised to, surprised to some extent, see them be quite negative and sit in on 1-0. I think um, now they've maybe seen how easily we could have been gotten at, um, they might try something a little bit different when we play them in, you know, was it a week's time or something? Well, Scott Gardner went on Sportsline before this game and he talked he talked about Robbo taking leave and he was quoted as saying some of the players were very upset. So we, we can't be too critical and we have to take that into account, don't we? No, that sounds fair. Um, and we were very flat from, from when they scored right up until we equalised. But why does Story take that penalty? Is, Story, is Miles Story our, our first choice penalty taker? He's the last person I want to see picking that ball up. Sean, Keaton, Welsh, Sean Welsh is, isn't he? Sean, well, he wasn't. Uh, Sean, Sean Welsh, he was only he was only changed from the air game. He didn't he didn't play against Halloa. But yeah, I, get, I, I agree with Ross. I don't I don't see story why he takes. I'd give it to Keaton's. Keaton's it was looked also like he wanted it. You could see Keaton's around looked like he wanted it. Just come on, made an Todorov, impact. Todorov wanted it as well. Christ, we wouldn't give it to him either. But <laughs> Davy Carson looked like he wanted it. But it, I wonder if we hadn't really mm-hmm. settled on a penalty taker at that moment. Probably not. Probably not. Mm. Okay, um, streaming. Whose eyes were streaming with tears when Ian Auld fired up his main microphone for the start of the second half? That's like positive tears of joy. <laughs> tears of joy, <laughs> not the other kind. I think as as the member of the pod who was was the first and fastest to put the boot in after Andy Bannerman's uh, first game as commentator, uh, I want to say something slightly in support of him. Uh, I think I said after that that... Um, if he's going to keep the job, he has to do a lot of work to get to know our players and um, and to really know that he's on top of his material. And I think he has tried to do that. All right? He, he recognises our players most of the time. 
He has got a wealth of material. Uh, no. Oh, not having, I'm not having that, Andrew. No, I'm no, not. Sure. not, not having that. Is it you that, um, it you that advised them to study their use <laughs> careers? Right. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has a wealth of material garnered from, from Wikipedia um, and not rephrased very much. Uh, I think like the issue is that he simply doesn't know nearly as much about our team or about the game of football generally as the people he's supposed to be providing a service for, the supporters. And that's that's on the club for not getting a football commentator and someone who really knows the game and knows and knows the club, you know, early on. You know, so I think he's probably tried his best. But he's now get the levels of criticism he's getting online now are are, are pretty savage. And you know, I think he even made the terrorist podcast last night. Um, and that's you know that is a bit of a shame. If I if I was Ian, if I was Ian Old, I wouldn't want to be playing second fiddle to Bannerman. Yeah, well, I was going to say. I, 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 I mean, Ian Old coming in, obviously, um, it, it was it was a big relief for all of us because we know he can do the job. He's done it before, and actually, when he took over at half time as the main commentator, it made a massive difference. Um, and I, I think that the, the answer really is to have Ian as a full time commentator from now on and get in a former player um, or, uh, or a supporter as summarised or the way the likes of Vader Martin do Look, it. That, that um, last point is absolutely key. Now, now Ian Old solves the problem to an extent in that he knows, the, he knows the game, he knows the club, he speaks well, but there's nothing of the culture of our club coming through in this commentary. And that, almost every away team, every away team we've been to uh, uh, virtually has given you something of the culture of that club. And it, and it makes us look fucking plastic, as we're often accused of being, that we can't give yeah. anything. There's nothing from our history, from our people, from our accent that comes through in our coverage. And that, that upsets me as much as, as all the other things that upset me about the coverage. Fucking yeah, goal! I, yeah. uh, that's what I want. Ross, you're absolutely right. And that actually, you know, that brings me to the last point, which is although Ian was, uh, was great the other night, the one thing that did kind of, and I mean, just slightly, was the fact that it meant we now had two non-ICP supporters rather than just one in the commentary position referring to us as we. And given that Ian was yeah. like in, the, in every single episode of Highland Football Weekly, the otherwise excellent Highland, Highland Football Weekly, described himself as a massive jambo, then don't refer to ICP as we, you know, there's no need to It comes across as plastic, doesn't it? You know. Yeah. I, I, think, I, I think the struggle, I mean, Ian can't do every Saturday. That's, I think that's, let's get out there. I think we asked Ian all at the start of the season if he could commit to doing it full time and he can't to work commitments but I think what I I mean they, they didn't really slow off each other but that's because they're not in the same room for some reason they're, they're in separate rooms in the stadium I don't know why if, if they're in a bubble they can't sit next to each other and maybe bounce off each other but to Ross's point and to AY's point you've got to have a fan there because it does come across very plastic when you say we when most listeners watchers know that the guys commentating are not ICT fans so yeah, yeah you, you need a bit of a to some extent, it's not, it's not their fault. And whilst I do agree with the point, it's not their fault. I mean, it's the club that have asked them in to do it. The club could have asked an Inverness Cali Thistle fan to do it. They've used one in the past um, in, in the form of Laurie Spence. He's provided commentary for um, is, is it, um, kind of like disabled fans, um, partially sighted yeah. fans or something like that, I think. I think they're planning to bring some more commentators in. I don't think Ian's going to be there every week. Um, I think Andy will be, so that's maybe good or bad news for some folk. Um, but... Yeah, I think they're looking at options now to try and chop and change it going forward. But two, vo- two voices are better than one, regardless of who it is. It was far better to listen to two voices. 
in, de- in defence of Bannerman, I think if he just, if he personally, I think if he just keeps it simple, we, we don't need to know the backstory of every player. We don't need yeah. to know youth teams for every single player. Just, 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 just a simple Allardyce pass it to Welsh, Welsh forward for story. That kind of stuff is going to suffice for most fans. You know, that, that, that's all we're kind of expecting, I think, really. The problem, hey, seems, problem, the problem seems to be, though, Sub, that he can't do that. He doesn't yeah. know the term. He doesn't, he does, I wonder how much football he watches. Mm-hmm. He's a referee, apparently, isn't he? That's, that's one of his, his jobs, apparently. He still, he still doesn't talk like someone who really knows the game, though. Mm, I know. Yeah. I know. And it needs to be a bit of banter, I think, regardless of who it is. I think there needs right. to be a bit better flow. And as much as we like to abrose commentators, the, well, I thought their banter was one of the best so far. I wonder how Bannerman felt when, uh, when Ian Old name-dropped the one podcast in the podcast world that continually salvages him week to week. Lovely stuff. Uh, Queen's in here. Let's <laughs> let's take the one. And by the way, cheers, Ian. Thanks for that. Um, let's take the one 0 loss at home to Queen's on the seventeenth, and the two 0 win away to Air as a package. How much has the toothless display against Queen's contributed to the change of tactics and the selection for the Air game? I think it goes back to what we were saying before. I think we're two different te- the way the Air set up. They came out to win the game in presses, where I think Queen's came up for a point and came up to null- nullifiers, and we just. We couldn't get around them or through them in the Queen's game. And I think Ayr, the win was a massive part of Ayr, obviously. But they battered us in the first half. We, I mean, we got in at half-time, one nil up, and I'd have taken that all day long. And, uh, yeah, it just shows that we play better against teams that come, come out and attack us, which is the bigger teams in the league. Well, we've got to find a way of dealing with that, though. Um, you know, yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously, I'm not saying this is your kind of attitude to it, but, you know, if, if, if this is a problem that we have against you know the perceived bottom half of the league teams even though most of them are now ahead of us in the league um we need to find a way to overcome that um i mean that 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 second half um was probably well sorry that 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 whole entire game is probably one of the worst performances i think we've seen this season you know it was mm-hmm. kind of dominating the game if you look at the stats but did we really work the queen's keeper that much did we really look like we were going to score the goals to win the game we played all right in the first half. I think. I think uh, for me, that's, that's the, that was the low point of the season for me. I was not in a good way at the end of that game, but um, it was really. So was it, it wasn't the worst performance. So we cre- we created eighteen yeah. shots. They created. I most of them were in the first half. I think mm. in the second half there was only like Keaton's mental free kick, um, and and was once they scored, it really knocked the stuffing out of us. And that's what scared me more than anything was that we were unable to lift ourselves in the kind of full half hour we had. To, to get back into the game there was just nothing there was no onslaught there was a couple of, I think maybe Shane had a chance with five minutes to go and that was it um, so I was really worried after that game to be honest you can, only, you can only tell Dan Mackay to stop hitting the ball was left foot from 30 yards so many times you seen a lack of game tinkers uh, I mean I'm not I'm, I'm sure they're fit but see when it comes to like game awareness and game management as Ross said you think We've maybe come out of the traps too quickly and then just run about out of ideas in the second half because I thought the first half was all right. We just nothing happened in the second. Do you think? I mean, did we come out of the traps too quickly? Though? I mean, I know we we a reasonable amount of purpose, but nearly all of those shots that you talk about, those uh, eighteen shots, twelve of right. them were taken early and from outside the box, and they either went mm-hmm. over or they, or they weren't particularly testing. You know, again, I didn't see us ever really either being able to stretch the the. Queen and South back line, which is partly to do with the fact that we don't have that much genuine width in the team, or actually have anyone with the pace of the guile to get beyond them to break their line, you know. And, and Queens just they matched up really well. I also thought at times that it looked like we were quite flat. We almost had four players quite flat against theirs, 
And uh, there was too big a gap between Allardyce and Welsh and, and the front four. Although, I think, Stevie, I remember you saying that you thought that Keatings was, was dropping too deep at times. So it's, it's funny how we sort of, you know, we kind of read games differently. But Well, Carson, comes in, Carson comes in from the start against uh, Ayr, his first start mm-hmm. of the season. And it's a completely different looking team and different looking tactics. This was just, this was just a really, really enjoyable game to watch. And, and bef- you know, before Robbo announced that he was going to be taking some leave, everyone was looking really positive for a wee while, wasn't it? I mean, that's just the polar opposite to the, um, the, the, the Queen's game from a few nights before. And as is so often the case in uh, games down at Somerset, you know, the game was just so open, you know, plenty of chances for both sides. And, you know, I guess, as I say, as usual down um, airway, we were kind of under the cosh a little bit in the opening uh, period of the game. But, um, you know, a really fantastic finish from Mackay to put us ahead. I mean, I hadn't really noticed it until I watched it back on the highlights, but after he receives the ball from, from Shane, he kind of takes one touch to get it out from under yeah. his feet and away from the air defender. And he doesn't really kind of wind up for the shot. It's almost like in the same movement, he just shoots with his other foot um, and, and, and sends it uh, into, the, into the net. So, yeah, um, maybe we got a bit lucky with the second, but I'm happy to take that rubber of the green to be perfect. I'm not going to complain about that. Um, Ridgers, you know, pulled off some great saves to keep us in the game, but I, w- I was pretty comfortable for most of this one. Um, re- really good game, really good performance, and you could see on social media, everyone was just so happy. Everyone was just so buzzing after this game. You know, it was um, you know red, red, red and blue circle emojis everywhere. You know, you just couldn't get away from them. It was great. What about the the, the change in tactics for this one? He's pushed, he's pushed Mackay up off of um, Todorov, and. Oh. The, the commentators, fair play to them, had some, had some they'll see, I think it was a female commentator and she, she plays for Kilmarnock ladies, I might be wrong, and she noticed very early on that he was playing off of Todorov and trying to get in behind all the time and then that is exactly where the goal came from. It was actually using Dan Mackay, using Dan Mackay's best attributes here rather than asking him to take on two players from the halfway line. It was saying, right, you're going to be high, you're going to get in behind, you're almost going to play as a striker, isn't he? I think you could, you could maybe see that role for him going forward coming off the bench I'd rather we weren't starting games with Todorov and Mackay up front I think I just don't think they're at the same level as as the other forward players that are in our squad um, but definitely that should be an option going going forward I, I, off the bench I mean I, I think we won this game in midfield like we won so many recent games at Somerset just with brilliant dig in midfield I don't know what it is it, it, was, it was so reminiscent of I can think of two, three trips to Somerset since we've been back down that had a very similar pattern where it was just like sheer graft and energy in midfield that that, that won us the game in the end. I think, um, going back to what you were saying about Todd Ross Mackay starting, starting up front, to be fair to Dan Mackay, I'm not quite sure yet if anyone has been able to define what his best position is. I think if we get a chance to speak to him, um, which I hope we will, It'd be interesting to see what he says or where he's in, he sees himself. On the bench. I was going to say, just following on from Ross's comment about like the dig in midfield, I think that this is the game that kind of reminded a lot of our fans that, Jesus, you know, David Carson's actually quite good. Um, and even though it's, it's, you know, you shouldn't really get swept up in it too much, it's hard not to be impressed by someone charging around the pitch after 89 minutes, chasing, harassing and smashing into people like Carson was and winning the ball and getting us up the field. Um, I was really impressed with him and Allardyce, um, as Ross says. A lot of dig in midfield and they completely shut down uh, Murdoch and Chalmers for Air United who were, I would say, non-existent. I, I, I forgot Chalmers was on the pitch, to be honest, by the end of the game. 
I think you'll, I think you'll see if McCann persists with the formation that he plays um, against Hearts. I think you'll see Allardyce play where Carson was playing in the middle of a park because he gives us the same level of energy but more composure on the ball. He's also got a lot of height, and you'll see Carson playing where McGregor was. And as much as McGregor's been brilliant this season, he just might not fit into that formation. But and if he does, I think Carson and Allardyce will be ahead of him for that central spot. He can play on the left in that of that three, McGregor. Yeah, he could play on the left, definitely. And Story could play up front, yeah. Okay, league look ahead. Let's do something slightly different with this one. There are 18 points available for Cali to sort of play for in the month of March. Dundee away, Aloha away, Morton at home, Wraith at home, Dunfermline away, Arbroath at home. How many do you think we'll get? Well, that's horrible because we've just had this game. So, like, I still think that the bottom four will be Aloha, Arbroath, Queen of the South, Morton. I know that's, and I've thought that since the start of the season. I do think it'll show. I think those, the, Morton and uh, Queen of the South won't, won't sustain these wee runs of form. Um, and we've just played all four of them, haven't we? And how many points did we take? <laughs> like three or something. Um, so I was looking at those games and, I, you know, they, they kept getting called off and I was imagining us in the playoffs positions uh, at the end of that run of games. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to come up with a number. I think we just we need to pull. How many games was it, Moff? Um, it's six. Six games. I mean, I think, I think, you know, I'd take three wins and three defeats now rather than, rather I, I don't than know. five I, draws. And a I don't see us. I, don't, I only see us maybe losing against Dunfermline if Dunfermline are on form at, at, um, at East End. The rest of them, I can see us taking points from all of them. So I'll, I'll say 12, 12 points from these 18. I'm saying 11. I say 11. You say 10. Riley says, what, 12? 12. I'll go for nine points. I'm going to say 10, though. Okay, and uh, the winner will... <laughs> you can't even get a pint bought for you. I have no idea. Yes, I've got more signed shirts than pints. The winner will get one, the winner will get one of the Riley Shuffle mugs. But did you not sell them all? The Shuffle mug. I fucking bought one. Well, you might get an Dundee away Tuesday, 2nd of March. Okay, so if today's anything to go by, apparently uh, Charlie Adam is out self-isolating, which removes their um, most um, kind of potent weapon. And Neil McCann is going to obviously be really highly motivated to beat them. Players are going to be full of self-belief after last night. Um, I don't think we can underestimate them, despite the fact they've clearly got the worst manager in the league and they had yet another pretty poor result today. Um, but I think if we work as hard and press as high as we did last night, and obviously we kind of concentrate at the back, which is kind of the million-dollar question. I don't think that's going to suit Dundee at all, a team that comes out and presses them. And then if we win that, we'll have this big head of steam up with two winnable games to come um, before our next Friday night game against Wraith, and we always do well in the televised games. So I, I think we've got a really good run of games coming up, and um, it starts with a win at Dundee, a hard-fought win at Dundee, I think. Hello, away, Saturday, 6th of March. By in a roll and a maximum of one point. Morton at home, Tuesday 9th of March. Ugly game, which will be won by an odd goal in three for everyone else. I'll take you 2-1 in that game. Wraith at home, Friday 12th of March on the BBC. Friday, Friday night under the lights. It'll be absolutely fantastic. Uh, last time we played Wraith at home, it was an imperious performance, so it'll be the same again. Because by that stage, the McCann revolution will be in full swing and we will kind of... Um, 
all the players will know exactly what they're doing. It'll be, a, 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 again, another hard fought, but one of the most impressive victories of the season, I think, for us. Pars away, Saturday the 20th of March. Small setback. <laughs> I, quite like, I quite like that. I quite like that. I keep the uh, keep the pause in as well. It was good. That nice uh, response. I like that. Uh, and finally, our both home Saturday the twenty seventh of March. We'll absolutely hump them. It will just uh, be like McCambal will be in f- in full flow by then. And uh, yeah, four, five, maybe six. Then in April, big dicks, we big dicks getting uh, pumped. Big dicks getting pumped. I heard it the first time, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if it was just it again. Predictable attempt at banter. Uh, <laughs> uh, then in, uh, in April, we've just got the five games to round off the season, and that's it done. That's it finished. In the playoffs. Wow. Well, potentially. Right? Ends in, this, this game ends in Dingwall. It does. Where'd you want to drink? Well, 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 the Glen Alvin, the Thistolin, the Jolly Trooper, the Castle Talker, the Cupkiss Jocks, the Dives of Gallon, the City Bar, number 27, Phoenix Slaughters, Love to Love, Cake Exchange, and Mambo's Hush, Heepies, Jeepies, Johnny's, Riley's, Bergie's, Kilmore, Hoop, and Onnie's. This section's called First Week in the Job. Let's touch on McCann and then, and then Robbo and Kale will finish up the pod uh, after we do mailbag. Where does Neil McCann go from here after, after his uh, you know, game against Hearts and then he's got a big game against Dundee? He steps into his first full week as caretaker manager, interim manager as they're calling it. Um, what are his initial priorities in this first full week? I think in training and match preparation, turning possession in the final third into goals and trying to get beyond defences. And defensive organisation basically trying to get more leadership in there. I think for me, I don't. It's, it's double edged sword. I think players will say that the um, they prefer playing games to training. And the thing for McCann is we don't have a lot of time on the training pitch this month because we've got a game every other day. So I think it's just keeping bodies fit and drip feeding some of his uh, ideas into the team. But I think for most of the players, as I said, I think the games will help us this month and get us up to. Up to full match speed, so yeah, long may continue. And is there a big role here for the for the leaders that we've already got at the club for the likes of Aaron Doran and Sean Welsh and Mark Ridgers? Well, I mean, Doran's injured, isn't he? And I know this sounds really negative, but um, it's in the past taken him quite a while to get up to speed after injuries, and I don't think he really did this season before he got injured again. So maybe off the pitch he'll have a, a big role, but I don't think on the pitch he will. Welsh clearly will, I think, and Welsh going back into the team last night says that Neil Buchanan's looking for his senior players to, to play a big part. Okay, what about selection? As fans, we've seen, and most fans obviously with the streaming have seen every game this season, so you know we've probably got a very good idea of what works and what doesn't, whereas McCann... McCann doesn't. He's only going by the highlight packages that he'll be seeing and what the coaches are telling him. So looking at you know, the 10, 11, 12, 13 league games left and him talking about his own style of play, do we actually have time for these experiments? I think, well, I think we've got to realise that I think he's going, to, he's going to bring Vincent into the team. He name-dropped Benny a few times in his interviews and he also had Benny at Dundee. And I think he knows Vinny's a safe pair of hands as he's also worked with him before. So I can see him coming into the team. Again, those we spoke about in that midfield, where do you play him? Who do you take out? And I like the midfield without Vincent at the moment. So 
I don't know if it's going to work, but I can, I can see Vinny getting some time under, under McCann. I think sometimes we underestimate how much a new manager, especially a footballing manager, liberates players that maybe felt oppressed by the system of the previous manager. I mean, if you look at, especially Keatons and Welsh, who are two really skillful, experienced players, they weren't hitting the heights under Robbo. So this could, ju- you know, this could just turn their seasons, could turn their careers, um, and that that could that could just that that's a sp- that's that's a spine. That if you've got Welsh and Keaton's playing at the top of their games, you've got an experienced spine. Mailbag. Let's now let's have uh, dip his hand into you know last last uh, pod. It was a small sack. Uh, this month it is a burgeoning, a burgeoning sack full of. Um, Sticky love letters for Neil McCann. So. Yeah, pretty much, and got a pretty good response. Most of the comments were about, um, you know, thoughts on who would be the new ma- who who would be the new interim manager. Thoughts on Neil McCann, etc. Right, we've kind of covered that extensively already. So I've gone for ones that are not um, under that kind of theme. Uh, first one up from Lynn McDonald. Uh, how do you all think the club should go about rebuilding its relationship with the fans going forward? Right. Um, I've spoken to Lynn about this before, boys, and I get our point, and both spoke to Scott Gardner about this, and I get it. As a club, generally, we, we're not the best at interacting with fans. I think, I think we'll all agree with that. I think sometimes the comms that comes out are not the best, and sometimes are few and far between, but I know the club has got plans to engage more with fans. There was a, there was a plan this year to do a fans uh, think tank, which I think I spoke to Sub about, around getting... Um, certain fans from certain demographics, well, across all demographics who go to games to try and make a, a match day experience a little, a little bit better. But that was on the assumption that we would have fans back in some point in the season. So I think going towards next season, there is a plan to how we can make the, the sort of fans day a bit better. But um, yeah, I think we've got to remember is we're on a shoestring budget. We don't have a lot of people at the club. I think a lot of people do are wearing three or four hats. And I know Gardner's in there seven days a week. Um, doing crazy hours so I'd, I'd spare him a bit of slack but I think when things pick up and life gets back to normal I think there will be some comps in the club to try and get certain sections of our fan base back on board and yeah keep them more informed I don't know exactly how they can do it from a practical point of view but I think that the match day experience when the stadium opens again is going to be absolutely vital um, we need something even if it's a temporary thing even if it's one or two matches we need something substantially bigger than the sports bar something that would allow the fans to mingle beforehand and after as well, without feeling either that they're being fleeced for something or that they're being kind of herded into some little area. I mean, it'd be great if we had some sort of larger venue, maybe get some of the players' management in after the game or whatever, win, lose or draw. Um, It's kind of a, welcome back, we value you, we want you here, Uh, we want you to have the opportunity to mix all together in the same place and really feel like this is us back properly you know i think just doing that making a point of doing that early on when um stadiums open again will kind of start it on the right foot you know it'll make the fans feel like they're part of something going forward you know whether how practical it is i don't know but i think that would be a really good thing to do uh, next one michael patterson um obviously we talked about formations already but he was asking should we try a new formation and if so what formation would you guys go with <clears throat> ever neil mccann thinks is right yeah, that's, that's the answer <laughs> yeah, yeah. on that one. Yep. Yep. Uh, Mike Lyle, um, what do you think about the current squad? Do you think we've got enough quality there to realistically push for a playoff spot? Dundee and Dunfermline have, by some <laughs> distance, 
the second and third best squads in the division. There's no question about that. And I think, you know, on paper, I still yeah. think they'll they'll both get into the playoffs. And I think that that fourth spot's fully up for grabs. I don't think Wraith will maintain this right through the season. I think it's between Ash Wraith and, and I used to think Air, but it's obviously gone badly wrong there. But I, I probably still think it'll be one of those three. I don't think it'll be anyone outside of us. Um, I think you're underestimating Wraith a wee bit. I think they're better than we thought. They had another good result today, whereas Dunfermline started again today. Um, Queen of the South, I think their rise is a really big surprise. We didn't expect that. And given that we're still, you know, we've had to cope with a backlog that we've not come out of particularly well. You know, I think, we, you know, I think we're good enough to compete, but, I, you, know, I, you know, I don't think we could put our hands on our hearts and say, yeah, we're definitely going to finish above Queen of the South. No, the, que- the question is, the question was, I think, do we have a good uh, enough squad? Uh, squad good enough. We do have a good enough squad, person. but you do so have to look good at enough. You do, yeah, you have a good squad, but you do have to look at the sort of the, the kind of the weird kind of outliers. You know, Dundee have been shit. They've been way worse than we expected. Wraithover has been way better than we expected, and Queen of the South have been fucking miles better than we expected. There's lots, there's lots yeah, of variables. There's lots of variables. We've been hamstrung by the start to the season and the injuries, and then the um, the layoff for not playing any games because of the postponed eleven postponed matches, and then we've got the Kell situation that most of us were unaware of for the last month and a half, two months. And then we've got the Robbo situation. Now we've got a changeover in manager. So, you know, you have to have all these factor in. The squad is good enough, yeah, but all these factor in, and that's why we're not presently in that position. Sonny Sutherland, just a couple of months left in the season. Is there anyone you'd be looking to keep for next year, well, next campaign, or anyone you'd be looking to potentially move on? I think, yeah, I don't know about Roddy's contract situation like, but I'd tie him up long term, just in case you've got any suitors. Um... But he, he, him, the problem is, I don't think we've had too many standout performances. Maybe Robbie Dees is obviously a signed this season. Maybe stick another year on top of his. But I don't think we're in a position where a lot of clubs are, are looking at players. Um, some of the older boys, I think there's rumours of Keaton's maybe moving. Uh, he has contracts out. I'd give Keaton's another year. Um, Story might be coming. And there must be a lot of players in the team coming out of contract this season. I'd imagine all the boys we signed last season are on two years. So Big changes, maybe. I don't think it's that easy to look at players that you would definitely cut. Um, I'd get rid of McCarty, um <clears throat> because Harper's been mm. excellent. And I'd get rid of Toshney because he's a busted flush. Um, I don't think Shane Sutherland is a starter in a team that challenges, although I wouldn't get rid of him, but he's not a starter for me. And Toddy definitely isn't either. Um, so I'm not sure if I'd get rid of him. But McCarty and Toshney can go. Um, and the others, it depends on whether we can get anyone better than or not. And obviously we want a commanding centre half in, but I'm not going to say ditch Devine McKay when we don't obviously have any clear replacements for him. No, you'd want you'd want Divine to be your cover at centre half ideally. Yeah. So you'd want to replace him as a starter. But the other boys we brought in, mm. especially Dees and Duffy, I wasn't sure about Duffy at first, but I think he's improved a lot and I think Dees has got a lot yeah. of room to improve as well. So in terms of those young boys, you definitely want to keep them and develop them. And this, yeah, another good season in the transfer market for Robbo. It's been very, very good. Uh, right, last one then. Scott Bambi, if Richie Foran is the answer, what is the question? Where could I buy really good Joe McGear? <laughs> also, also Havel and Puma now he's, he's adapted and they expanded. So, who's yeah. that under my car? Who would oh, win in fuck. a square goal between? <laughs> <laughs> he's a former Shelburne youth and former Shamrock Rovers youth. Um, Andy Barman. <laughs> <laughs> right, thank you, Sav. Good meal bag. Okay, before we go, um, all the talk has mainly been on McCann and 
the past few games. Let's finish up with a few words about Robbo and Kel. It's been a tough year for so many reasons, but these two have had to sit around for months while football was cancelled and assemble a new team in the worst circumstances imaginable. imaginable. And then Kel's been hit by this illness. Robbo's suffered one of the worst things that any person can suffer. So all our thoughts go out to both of those guys, don't they? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, just echo your thoughts, your comments. Just sorry, Moff. Yeah, I mean, we all miss football and stuff, and uh, yeah, it's a big part of our lives, but it's not the be all and end all. There's bigger things in life, and there's, there's things that need to get taken care of. And yeah, I just wish the two boys a speedy recovery, and don't hurry back too soon. We miss you, but um, yeah, take your time, and ICT will always be here when you're, you're ready for it. Well, we can all only speak from our own experiences, so I'll speak, I'll speak from my own. Um, I know that grief manifests itself in various ways, so there's so much for respect for John Robertson and for the football club for allowing him the time that he needs. So, you know, allow me a moment, if you will, to to, to just go over something. What what he's experiencing, um, at first, it's right in front of you, grief. Like, it stares you in the face, and it's it's a frightening experience. It's, It's traumatic. It is the most traumatic thing I think you can ever experience. More so, from my own personal experience, I can speak from, if it's a sudden thing, it's even more traumatic. And then there's things that are happening all around you and you're part of these things, but you're not really part of these things. So it's like you're not fully aware or present. And I think you go from various emotions from despair to anger to, to pretense to trying to be yourself, you know, using drink or sport or anything to distract you. But none of it, none of it is really real, if you know what I mean, because you're dealing with this other thing that is, is more real than anything you've ever experienced. And it's actually quite frightening. In, in every sense and I think people forget about that and people are expected to go back to work and get on with life just get on with it keep busy and you maybe think keep busy but what what's the point and you know that's maybe what you're thinking and at the same time you know inside it's just something completely different going on and a couple of days off a couple of days a week off you know off work or a week off work isn't going to change that and um, you expect it to go back to normality and get on with it but you know, then people don't mention, it's like, don't mention anything to them, don't send you off, you don't have someone crying on you in the office or anything. And that, that's the sort of, that seems an attitude, an outdated attitude, it's maybe changing now, but because um, people don't know how to approach it, but people don't know how to deal with it, grief, because we don't talk about it. So I just wanted to talk about it a little bit there, and because that helped me. And if others want to talk about it or learn how to support friends and family with grief, um, I direct you to the Highland Hospices Adult Counselling and Bereavement Services and to Cruise Bereavement Care Scotland, that's C-R-U-S-E, and um, talk to a professional because you do need to speak about it. Everyone needs to speak about it. Um, and I did speak about it at the time and it did help. Okay, everyone, thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, all our thoughts are with Robo and Kel. All our support is behind both of them and all our support is now behind Neil McCann as well. From now, it's a uh, goodbye from them. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Goodbye from me. We'll be back sometime in March. But for now, we're all off to watch Minder. Take care of yourself and each other and bye for now.
Bien, bien. 